You're listening to Self Worst. This is a podcast about failure, inspiration, day jobs, bad habits, and mental health. We talk about art. We talk about spiritualism. We talk about imposter syndrome, perfectionism, meritocracy, and mediocrity. We do sometimes talk about things like sexual assault, suicidal ideation, self-harm, trauma, and whatnot. So, you know, be advised. Each week, artists, losers, dirtbags, musicians, degenerates, comedians, actors, fuck-ups, scholars, crazies, filmmakers, veterans, sluts, commies, weirdos, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, and all other types of beautiful people join me, Brad Pearson. Not a doctor. Not a therapist. Not an expert. In a discussion of what to do with this stupid, sacred life. Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you want to confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on Self-Worst Alright, hello everybody. Welcome to Self-Worst. I'm Brad Pearson coming to you live from the backyard of my apartment. Uh, no, this is not a flex uh, that I have a backyard. I'm not trying to... Uh, be fancy on you or anything it's just uh we have a house guest right now uh, a friend of ours is uh staying in our usual recording room it's early in the morning uh so i can't record in there and i can't record in the bedroom because uh, i have a girlfriend who is sleeping in there and uh that would be rude so we're gonna hope that the sound is good out here i think you can probably hear the din of traffic the ever-present din of traffic from the BQE, which is conveniently located right by my apartment. Not great. Not ideal. It's also very wet out here because it rained last night, but what are you going to do? It's not raining right now. And it's, uh, you know, it's actually fairly warm today. You, you know, so you take the good with the bad. You do what you got to do. I'm going to probably, after this, have to do my Zoom therapy out here in the backyard as well because I don't have anywhere else to do it. Uh, I guess we could just tell our guest to leave and go to a cafe or something while we, you know, do stuff in our apartment. But, you know, it's fine. He's 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 here because he's, he's working a lot. Uh, it's fine. And it's actually a fairly nice day out. I'm My butt's a little wet, but I'm wearing... I decided to come out and wear rain pants. Uh, so it's not too bad. Uh, whatever. You know what? I'm going to keep this short because, uh, honestly, I don't even know if the audio for this intro is even going to be usable because of the uh, traffic. I'm going to have to listen back to it, see if the noise is too much of a problem. Whatever. You know, we're having a whatever week. Uh, fucking stupid-ass week. Abortion rights and new variant and the continuing crumbling of our society. What are you going to do? The world is bad and full of dumb, cruel, bad people. I don't know. But there are some good people, too. Fighting the good fight. This week, our guest is social worker Maria Guido. Yes, she is Italian. Uh, She is a Pittsburgh-based social worker. Uh, she's really fucking cool. I know her, uh, from a podcast that she used to be on called Worst Week Yet, 
uh, which I had Andrew Hillary, the main guy, on a couple weeks ago, you'll remember. Uh, she used to be on it. She decided to quit. We talk about that a little bit. It's not super important. No drama or nothing. She just uh, didn't have the space for it emotionally in her life, which I get after talking to her about uh, the emotions in her life and her job and her day-to-day -day stuff. It's a lot. And she's actually doing plenty. Uh, there's uh, Did you know that there are things that you can do for the world to improve the world other than podcasting? Sounds crazy, but if you stay tuned, she'll explain that you can actually not podcast and make a difference in people's lives. I know, it sounds nuts. It's all I do. It's, it's the main thing I do to make a big difference in the world and do important work. And it's going well. I'm on... Someone sent me their Spotify wrapped and I was their number one podcast. Thank you, Nick, for being a good listener. Keep it up. I'm glad you're here. See, I shout out my listeners. If you rate and review, uh, you know, if you do all of that stuff, if you put me on your Instagram stories, you know how to do all of that shit. At Selfworst on Instagram. Uh, at Bradical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter. You know all of that. Uh, Patreon.com slash Selfworst. Whatever. Uh, let's get all... Let's get all... Let's get all to the interview. Um, let me get some coffee. I'll talk to you later. I'll talk to you on the other side of this interview. My co-host used to do all the recording stuff. Right. Um, and I'm like trying to figure it out, like, because I want to do my own project soon. What do you want your project yeah. to be? I want to do it on music. Mm. I want to do like a music podcast and kind of like have like, um, you know, like maybe like, you know, bring up like an album and have a couple people come on and like talk about that album. Because um, I just really like, like, that's like my kind of like, um, it's my escape from like my job job, like yeah. social work. So um, it was getting to be a lot like of having to like work and then report, you know, do a podcast and try to make what's going on in the world funny. Right. Like. It was That's just hard. getting. Yeah. Is that yeah. why you? Is that why you left? You just like you were like I'm burning the candle at both ends. Yeah, like it was. You know, I think that like my co-host, he wants more of a career in entertainment. He's a comedian and all yeah. that, so he really wanted to do like bonus episodes and stuff, and we were doing those. Um, but I think it was just a lot of like pressure. I I I felt a lot of pressure, and um. It's funny because like I talk, I've talked to a couple other podcasters about like the feeling of like imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not really a podcaster, you know. And everyone's like, you just, you know, everyone's a podcaster. There, there, right, there yeah. should be absolutely zero gatekeeping in this game. It's it's that's silly. Yeah, yeah, and that's what people like. All like they just had to kind of remind me of that. But like, but I think yeah, like I definitely want to do something like on my own, and I like going on other people's podcasts too because it's like I can do it when I want, you know? Right? Yeah. No, I feel you. I uh, I mean, 
I have a time crunch today, you know, like that's why I wanted to start a little earlier so that hopefully we could wrap up a little earlier. We got a friend in town. <clears throat> we got a friend in town. And so like the, the recording booth, uh, as it were, you know, the multi-purpose room, my office yeah. in like giant quotes, uh, and for tax purposes is, um, you know, is, is currently occupied. So, um, yeah, it's, we, we do this, you know, when we can do it. And if you, you know, if you don't have the, like, I get stressed out talking about it, like, or finding the time to like do this podcast every week, I barely record any bonus content. I only started doing that like this year, like in earnest. And also like, I don't have like a really stressful day job to be perfectly honest. Like, I, I mean, not, not to the level that you do. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. You're a social worker. Um, yep. tell us a little bit about that. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. Where do I, where do you begin with social work? Um, I've been in the field for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I've worked with my, I have a master's degree. Um, and I've done, I've worked on a master's level for six years now. Um, so I specialize with kids, um, especially kids that are involved in the court system um, kids with childhood, like childhood trauma. So sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect. Um, I work with a lot of kids. So I used to do like expert witness work in the courts as well. Um, cause I have an expertise in trauma and then, um, juvenile offending. So I'm very, um, knowledgeable in, I'm sorry, juvenile, juvenile, what? Uh, juvenile offending. Juvenile offending. So like, yeah, so like juvenile, you know, delinquency matters. So when a kid was charged as an adult, I would be hired by the defense attorney to do an evaluation. And this evaluation would basically look at mitigating factors as yeah. to why this child shouldn't be sent to prison, but instead should be given rehabilitation in juvenile court. Yeah. Um, so I would do that evaluation and then I would testify um, on the stand as the, as the expert, you know, and, and I would say, you know, I, uh, my clinical opinion is that this child go back to juvenile court, um, cause he can be rehabilitated. And then I would go into like the rehabilitation options and stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot. Um, yeah. Where did you get started in social work? Uh, what made you want to do that in the first place? I think it was, I always wanted to help people, but it was also, I think, because of what I went through as a kid. Mm. Um, you know, I had my own little, I had a very good family. Um, you know, I, my family wasn't as, and this isn't anything bad about the families that I work with because families change, like your dynamics change depending on what happens in the family. If there's a trauma, yada, yada, yada. But like, I didn't grow up in a, I guess like quote unquote, like chaotic family. I, you know, a mom and a dad, like they had been, they were married until they both passed away. Um, you know, it was kind of like this, I don't know. I, I wasn't a kid that you would, um, like, I don't think my parents knew. I don't think that they ever thought that they were going to have a kid that was involved in the juvenile justice and mental health system. Right. Um, so back then this was like the late nineties. Like it was very easy for a kid to be placed in an institution. Um, 
you know, it was the doctors always thought that that was the best thing to do, you know, take the child away from the home, things like that. Um, and luckily, knock on wood, I was never away from my family for longer than like two weeks. Um, but I think I saw all of the issues just with me in general, um, you know, and I'm a, I'm a white woman, right? Like, so I'm, I'm, I'm a, girls aren't treated that well. No, no child is treated well in the juvenile justice system, but it's a little bit easier for white girls, yeah. right? And obviously white boys. Now I didn't know that then because I was just, you know, a teenager. Um, but I think even seeing just the issues that I went through made me want to do something in social work. It was like, I wanted, I didn't know if it was, um, if I wanted to work with adults or with kids, it was just all, it was just something that was like, I guess, cause I was trying to figure out what was wrong with myself, with my own stuff, um, that I was always interested in other people's problems, I guess. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what got me. Was there any kind of a push pull with the idea of, uh, becoming, you know, like working within an institution that you saw from the inside and saw that it has a lot of flaws and that it doesn't treat people well. And like, was there any thought of like, uh, do I try and change this from the inside or like, what do I do? Like, I mean, it's, it's basically the only way that I could see helping. Like, what was that journey like? Um, so it's weird because I haven't worked like, like I've never worked for like a, um, correctional, like facility or like I've never, or I've never been, you know, a cop or anything like that, but it is hard because like the system is the system. And it doesn't mean that because there's like multiple systems throughout these systems. Right. So it's like the school is the system. Foster care is a system. Juvenile justice is a system. Um, Mental health is a system. So you're going to be working for some type of system. Right. Right. Um, I think that I've, I like the direction that I went. I think I made deliberate choices as to who I worked for. So, you know, I worked for the public defender's office. Um, yeah, I, that was my internship in it, my last year, in my master's program. And that like changed the, you know, my direction of like, like, I didn't know what expert witness work was then or, or anything. Um, but I think I've chosen to, work in systems um like that i can i guess i can stomach the most um Mm. they all piss me off and i'm a constant um like i'm constantly fighting against the systems and fighting and, and being but and i have like a very weird um skill where like i understand the systems and i understand how they traumatize um, society, you know, it's a broken, it's just a, it's like a broken record, right. you know, and, and a lot of it comes down to money. Yeah. You know, there's tons of times where I sit in meetings of like, where's this kid going to go? Where's this kid going to go? And money always comes up. Right. Who, you know, who's paying, who's footing the bill for, right. Who's footing the bill, you know, and that's the thing is you would think that we would take care of our most vulnerable population, right? Children. <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, you would think, but no, we do not. Fuck them kids. Yeah, yeah it is. I was like, wait, can I swear on here? Oh, it yeah, is. It's, absolutely. It's, it's fuck them kids. I mean, it really, kids. it really yeah. is. And it's, it's sad um, because like, 
you know, I know some of my kids have done some horrible things, right? Because I work with kids with significant trauma. So they'll yeah. do things that are extremely scary, dangerous. Some of them hurt other people. Um, but I also see the other side of it is that this is a kid that's hurting. This is a kid that's been traumatized. We as the system have failed them because we've done nothing to help them or we've they've slipped through the cracks. Um, you know, so we, I think that like, we have to take care of them. Like this is who's, you know, we, they, people constantly say to us, Oh, well, these are the people that are going to be running the country. These are the people that are going to be running the country. Then why don't you take care of them now? Yeah. Cause you're not, you're not, you know? Yeah. You have to be a, you know, a believer in some way in the idea of rehabilitation and redemption. Um, which, I mean, that conversation comes up a lot in, uh, you know, just uh, a lot of our, our just current bullshit culture war, you know, discourse around uh, uh, fucking, I hate saying it, cancel culture and like the idea of like being perfect and having a perfect track record and that like the left wants to, you know, destroy people for making one mistake. And it's like not really because we got people like you on the left who uh work with people who have like actually done really bad things and you fully believe in them and you go to you go to bat for them every day uh believing that they can change and that they did a bad thing because not because they're a bad person but because they're in a bad situation they don't know anything else how about let's teach them something else yeah yeah it's a trauma it's a stress response a lot of them, you know what I mean? I, and I think that it's, we don't look at, because I, I think in society, we don't look at trauma. I mean, I know it's this new thing where everyone's bringing up trauma, 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 but we don't really talk about what trauma is, right. um, how it can be unique, how we all go through it, how everything is a stress, you know, it's a stress response. The way that you respond to a threat is your stress response. So it's fight, flight, or freeze. So yeah. Yeah, I have kids that have beaten the shit out of teachers that have, you know what I mean? Like been involved in homicides, been involved in rapes, like done these horrible things um, that and even before, like I started doing this work, I would read these stories in the news because the news loves to report on juvenile justice matters at times. They'll only report on like certain ones like they love to if a kid did something at 15 and they're being charged as an adult, that kid's name is going to be in the paper. Like, and I don't agree with that. Um, you know, it's still a kid. Right. It's still a kid, regardless of if they murdered somebody or not. And you don't have, you know, like the full story. But um, I forgot where I was going with that. But I think that, yeah, I think that we are very quick to just judge people, especially in like cancel culture. And, you know, there's a lot of gatekeeping, I'd say, on the left. Um, you know, because I, I, I'm friends with... I'm friends with people that like, you know, I remember like my, this one girl that I am friendly with on Twitter, she got canceled because they pulled up like her tweets from like 2012 or something. And she was saying fucked up shit, you know, but it's like, you, you have to, I think there's things, I, I don't know. I think that we, it like people look at things as very black and white. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's a pro. I mean, it, I think it's a na it's a natural thing that happens, yeah. you know. Um, but it's if you really 
to, to, I guess, to, in my head, to truly be left, you have to be open minded, you know, and I'm not saying like go and organize with Nazis or go and do like now. And if you yeah. don't feel like doing that, you shouldn't do that and you shouldn't be put in a position to do that. Right. But there are people that feel that they can, you know, rehabilitate. And I, I and there's just people have you're going to make mistakes in life. Yeah. And you're always going to do something that pisses somebody off. Um, yeah, it's that I think the current correction system, which is such a euphemism in and of itself uh, that we have, isn't really designed to correct people, isn't really designed to rehabilitate anyone. And that's what that's what the problem is. You make one mistake and you're fucked. And like it is extremely hard to turn your life around after that. And so it just doesn't. Like the idea of, uh, you know, the sort of the other side of the aisle, the cultural aisle, the, uh, you know, the the Hobbesian, very like right wing, dirty, hairy type is like, we got to be hard on these. You know, we got to crack down on these criminals. And there's the juve or the, the justice system. The juvie system is just too, you know, is just letting all these little like hellions, these little sociopaths out. And like, there's, there are people who are just fundamentally bad and who take advantage of like the leniency of the system and blah, blah, blah. Um, but like, clearly it's like, that's creating a machine that's grinding a lot of people up in its gears. Yeah. I mean, and I think the left does it too. I mean, we've seen now, I don't know if I, I wouldn't call the Democrat, the Democratic Party, the left. Um, but I, I don't think it's just a, um, a right wing thing. I think that people still have this idea that it, I think it goes back to this argument of nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. People still think that, that people are fundamentally born bad. Mm-hmm. That's not, a child is not born. You're not born bad. You know, you, you're the things that you do are, it's a product of what you've learned over the years. Um, and a lot of times it's generational, you know, you see it throughout three, four generations, it's passed down. Um, so I think that, I think that on both sides, they still have this like, uh, view of people being irredeemable that they can't be rehabilitated. Yeah. Um, and then you see them throw people in prison. Like right now, my um, one of my closest friends, he's going to prison for five years, mandatory five years for weed. Jesus. Has to turn himself in <clears throat> in March. Just weed. That's it. Yep. Because he was selling, he, he was selling it a r- ridiculous amount. I mean, it was pounds and pounds, but sure. it was weed. Right. You know? So it's, yeah, it's like we don't... The same substance that you see, like, Billy Ray Cyrus standing next to, like, an entire safe of, and just like, I'm just selling this stuff. This is my... Right. And, like, Jim Belushi. I bought... You know, like... Right, I bought this, like, like the audience doesn't know, but I'm holding up, like, a cut of weed. Like, I bought this at the fucking store the other day. You know, right, like, it legal is... legal in PA, right? Yeah, medically it's legal. Um, and we'll probably end up because our new mayor, um, Ed Ganey, he'll be sworn in in January. He's very like pro weed. Um, he fought for like the medical marijuana stuff. Mm -hmm. So he's going to make it decriminalized in Pittsburgh to the point where like, you're not going to get a a charge anymore. And this is what's so fucked up about this whole situation is that, you know, my boy gets caught in 2019 
And he's finally indicted in 2021 because of everything with COVID. Um, but weed has been basically legal in the state of Pennsylvania for like four or five years now. Um, Ridiculous. So, yeah, I mean, it's... you guys have um, John Fetterman, too, right? He's a, he's a PA guy. He's like the lieutenant. Yeah, he's governor, a PA guy running for Senate. Do you like him? I I can't really get a beat on him. He seems chill, but I don't know. I don't I don't I also don't trust like pretty much any elected officials at this point. I would say Fetterman plays the game. Yeah. I don't think he's as progressive as people make him out to be. Um there's a lot of issues that like I don't agree with him on. Like he refuses to so like um in Pittsburgh the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. I mean, it's it's one of the largest medical centers in the world. Like we are, you know, Pittsburgh was known for steel back in the day. Now it's eds and meds, education and medicine. Um, they're at a nonprofit status as a hospital, but they run the entire city. They are the number one employer. Um, and I, you know, as somebody who is, you know, pro-union and, um, on the left, I think that they should be taxed. I think that they should pay their fair share of taxes. They're making a ridiculous amount of money and they don't treat their employees right. And Fetterman refuses to say, you know what I mean, that they should be for profit. That's just one thing. He's done other, he's made other votes that, you know, I haven't supported. Um, I think that he also kind of left his, the current mayor of Braddock now um, is a friend of mine and they, he kind of left her in the dust, you know, um, just here, you know, all right, I'm taking right. the Lieutenant governor, Governor's position here. Here's right. whatever. I'm on, I'm on the national stage now. I'm in the big leagues. Like, cause he's, he's right. nationally known now. Like he's like one of those guys. You know? Right. And he's always wanted to be nationally known. Yeah. Um, you know, would he be better than um, Malcolm Kenyatta? Sure. I guess so. I mean, but I still think that they're both, they're just, both part of the machine yeah um and it's you know i think it's hard because i have such a distaste in my mouth after working for the bernie sanders campaign in 2016 and 2020 i think i'm just so done with national politics um that it's to me i'm like okay well you know fetterman's running but does fetterman make me want to vote full democrat or whatever or not leave things blank like he doesn't give me that um but that's just me i mean there's other people that like him i don't well i mean again like i i've i'm becoming you know more and more jaded every year with electoral politics because it is yet another system um that you know i mean again system you do have to at some point embrace you know, and work within the systems unless you're just like a complete fucking like, I don't know, Molotov cocktail throwing like anarchist. But like that's only right, like, so far too. like that's only one part of, you know, how to progress a society. So like you have to work within those things. But so far as national politics, presidential stuff, I'm just like, yeah, I don't know what the fucking do with that shit anymore. I have to be registered as a Democrat in New York State because we have cr- closed primaries. And you, you can't name in Pittsburgh, you can't fucking, you can't, yeah, you can't vote for anybody really if you're registered as independent or like, um, we have 
working working families party yeah working families party here too which is like pretty cool but like they don't they never run any fucking candidates really you know it just right and they're not established established yet yeah um yeah i mean it's I, I the last election that I was really excited for and it actually turned out amazingly well was our local one because we had um 10 judges seats open. So like the one of the biggest like I guess vacancies that our court in Allegheny County has ever seen. So we there were 18 people that were running for 10 seats. So like a, a ton of including my mentor Tiffany Sizemore um they ran for judge and they won. Like they took that opportunity and ran with it and they won. Um, now, sadly, people don't pay attention to judicial races at all. Yeah. But that's where you have the most power um, because you can pick that judge. You can choose what judge is on the bench. And I think a lot of people, too, um, they're not educated. And, and again, it's the system that does this on purpose. It doesn't educate us on this stuff but like um judges retention races people always think that a judge is a lifetime appointment no you have to you can say that you don't want to retain that judge after 10 years like all you have to do is put no and if he gets and if the if that particular judge there there's more than 50 percent of the people that said no don't retain this judge you could get that judge off the bench and put a new one on right and if you get, I mean, that's why I tell people locally, look at your public defender's offices, look at your defense attorneys. That's who you want in that on the bench. Right. Um, well, and that's you where know. you have some actual democratic power in some way. You like you can actually pound the pavement, knock on doors and like maybe like switch a district for them. Like if you put in enough work, whereas with presidential politics, I mean, you know, like just the um the the delegate system the super like all of that stuff even in the primaries the the fucking uh the caucuses in iowa like the way that shit works and yeah. all the way through like the electoral college in the general like it's just like this is so this is such this like giant fucking like byzantine machine that like how do you even make anything out of this so it's just it's nuts it's too much and i think that's why our side gets so down and that a lot of us do struggle with mental health issues right i mean i think everybody struggles with mental health issues it's just a lot of people don't talk about it right right um but i think that because of just this pushback that we got from you know the democratic party or whatever whatever you were trying to do like that was rough um to be really you know put in all of this work and do all of this stuff and then just have it kind of like slap in the face. Nope, your work isn't appreciated or like just being told, like being given barriers over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, they're doing it now like shit. Like what the fuck is a Senate parliamentarian? What the hell is that? You know, like what is that? We haven't passed shit. You know, yeah. we haven't passed shit. And, and the Democrats are still talking about Trump. Like you're, you're, you're focusing on the wrong stuff because people are, you're, that is not enough to get people to vote. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Um, it's not, uh, looking good. It's not, 
is not looking yeah. good for the for the future. I don't know. Um, but I mean, the the cool thing is that you know your day job, like what you do with your you know um, your your career, I would call it, is uh, it, that's politics too. You know, yeah. that's that's a different type. Like my buddy is a, a teamster and a like a union leader, and you know I sometimes talk to him about electoral politics ask him who he's voting for and but then like sometimes i'm like he he does that shit all day like he's actually like really making he's doing the work and making a difference in like working class people's lives and making sure that they get paid that they get you know uh, uh compensation they get taken care of if they get injured they get like whatever time off they need like you know like he's doing that work he's just not doing it through you know voting uh you know for for politicians so yeah, I think politics is a lot more than just electoral stuff. You know, it's an it, activism is a lot more than than electoral stuff. There's a lot of stuff that you can do um, that I think. But I think that we've been beaten down so much that we just it's like we almost don't have the energy to kind of be able to like work as a collective anymore. Yeah to get this stuff done. I mean, I think, listen, will it happen at some point again? I hope so. You know, I would love to see less fractions, um, but I, on the left, but I think, yeah, it's that it's politics is so much more than just, you know, voting. And, and it took me a really long time to figure out that, that what I was doing in social work was political. Um, and, and doing what, you know, seeing the things that I see and speaking up about them, like that that is political, that that's like activism. It took me a while to realize that. Um, and I've gotten more comfortable over the years because I've learned ways to, I guess, do it, like call people out in a much classier way, mm. I guess. That's what I call it. Like, instead of sounding like, you know, a screaming person like I used to because it was always like there was always behind it is I just want things to be okay for the people you know what I mean yeah. for society so if I see something wrong I'm gonna call it out but there's politics behind that too you know um you know I didn't get a I didn't get a social work position at the public defenders because of my mouth um, I was going to one of my questions was going to be like, how do you keep your, you know, your composure and keep your, you know, just, uh, I guess, sort of, I don't know, pantsuit adult, you know, uh, shell on when you when you have so much when you see so much that angers you and when you see so much of like a broken system around you and you see how it's like you look people in the eyes who are being currently hurt by that system. Like, how do you not just like fucking scream out at people? It's really hard. I mean, it, it, it's really hard. I think the, the agency that I work for, I'm not going to obviously say it or whatever, but like I have good, I have really good supervision. So like my bosses are very, like they know me as a social worker. They know how I am. They know what my triggers are. I can be open and honest with them. I mean, I can literally call them and be like, dude, I feel like I just want to die. I, this is what I saw today. And they're not going to be like, Oh my God, let me call a psychiatrist or whatever. Like they, they get it. Um, 
which I is very rare. I tell people a lot, like I, I, you know, I feel bad because like my friends all hate their bosses. Yeah. You know, with good reason. Um, I don't have that relationship with my bosses, but that's because they are trauma informed and they care and they actually will work with you on your strengths. They're not going to just focus on, you know, the negative things or you're late or this paperwork's late or whatever. Um, it's, it's hard. I mean, I have definitely been through a couple breakdowns just in the past year. Like I always call them like mini breakdowns where I have to take a few days off. Um, cause a lot of stuff comes up and we're getting more intensive cases now. So we're seeing more intensive things. And, um, you know, I always say like, I have a very high tolerance for things, very high tolerance. Yeah, it seems like it, it seems like your work is real intense. It seems like, I mean, you see people like really in the worst times of their life, um, freaking out, like screaming, shouting, you know, like, like lashing out and stuff. So like, what, what is that like for you on, on like a daily basis? Just like, do you get used to it? Does it not like phase you as much anymore? I would say, I'm, I mean, I'm used to it. Like my clients aren't really like, like I haven't, I think it was the last time I was cussed out was by a 13 year old girl. It was like a month and a half ago or whatever, which was, you know, I just like laugh. When I worked in, in residential, that was tough. Cause that was every day you were fuck you bitch. And you know, you had kids that were like flipping out. They would beat the shit out of staff and spit and stuff. But I like knock on wood have always been kind of lucky Uh, in the sense that I've always had a pretty good relationship with the majority of my clients. And I think I do, I, the reason that that happens is because like, I know from the jump, like I'm a white woman that works for the system. They're going to have a bias about me. And you know what? They should, because this is what, or not that they should because I'm a bad person or whatever, but this is because of what the system has done, you know? So I don't take offense to it. Right. I'm like, fuck yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, somebody was rolling up into my house that looked like me. I'd be like, what the fuck? Too, you know. And and I'm I'm honest and open with my um, with the with the clients that I work with. And I think it's because I don't judge them um for the things that they've done. I mean, I think when when you're looking back at trauma and especially like generational trauma, it's hard because like you have to um, take ownership of what you sometimes in during that. And it's not, you know, I'm not saying the trauma is your fault or whatever, but like there are things that we do in times of stress that give up, you know, make cringe. Um, you know, I remember when my mother was dying of cancer and I was flipping out at the nurses I was like convinced that the nurses were killing her with morphine when it was like, no, that's not what it is. It's the cancer. Right. Right. Um, and thinking about it now just makes me cringe. Right. My clients go through that in therapy, they go through that, you know, they have to, and you, I, so I think that I respect them and I, I meet them. I, I try to meet them where they're at, you know? Um, so I think I get a different, maybe I get a different response just because I, I do that. I mean, and again, it, 
it really all depends like where you're working at. So like now I work, I work with families um, and I work with really keeping the child in the home and keeping them, you know, so they don't have to be sent somewhere for mental health issues. Or like I work with getting the kid back in the home um, and having like the mental health services in the home. Right. right. Um, but like when you work at like a residential treatment facility, with kids, that's a whole different ball game because they will cost you out at any, because that's, that's the only control that they have, right? Yeah. They're in a placement, everything, you know, they don't have a choice in what they eat. They don't have a choice in what time they go to bed. They don't, you know, they lose their identity. They lose this, you know, so the only things sometimes that they have is to go after staff, um, you know, does the situation, ever I think, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. What were you going to say? Oh, I was going to ask, like, if the situation ever comes up where uh, it becomes clear that what's best is to get the child away from the home, like if the home is the problem, or is it more a matter of, like, how do we fix the home then? Or is, is this just untenable? Do we have to just, like, cut bait, get that kid out of there? It's more towards we look at, because I don't look at the safety concerns, because I'm not child welfare, right? Right. I do family relational therapy. So I'm working with the family and I always look at it as like second order change. We call it like second order change. I can come in and work with your kid programs only eight months long. Um, so I'm not with you for years. I'm with you for eight months. And if you're lucky, insurance might extend it, but usually no, because we have a waiting list because we're the highest level of care you can get in the home. Um, so I do like family relational therapy. So what I really try to do is, is help the family understand, like, look, I can give your kid every intervention ever. It doesn't matter because I'm replaceable. You're not, it has to come from you. Right. So the, the parent, it has to be the one that teaches these kids the intervention and the way they do that is by modeling it for them. And it's tough. I mean, look, I, and I tell parents all the time, like, I'm like, look, I don't have kids. I can't tell you that I know exactly what you're going through. But I do also know what I do know is what a kid does in when they're they've been neglected or traumatized. Like I know those behaviors and I can help you manage them. So it's it's really about like, how do we manage this? How do we manage this? Because nothing's ever going to be perfect. Um, and I would never want a CYF job like I've worked closely enough with CY with like child welfare in my past. Um, so I don't like being in that situation of having to make the decision of if a child has to be removed from a home or not. Right. Um, you know, even in terms of like residential placement where the home could be fine, it has, it might just be the kid needs mental health, like intensive mental health services outside the home. And, um, we don't, at my job, we don't make that recommendation at all. It's not our role. Um, but, you know, I've been in treatment teams where, you know, they've looked at me um, at other positions, like, what do you think should happen with this kid? Right. And it's like, you got to look at well, which, what resources do we have? You know, what resources do we have? Because there are kids that like have to be removed, right? Yeah. But, you know, I just had a kid not too long ago that had to be removed from the home um, and wanted to be. Um, for good reason, there was no placement, no foster placement for them. 
like close to our area and there was a, wasn't any um, beds open in group homes because we don't really have them anymore. So they sent this kid five hours away, like away from everything that they know. And that was because we don't have any placements. So it's like you get stuck in this like, uh, what is it the term, the rock in a hard place? Yeah. That's like a constant theme um, that I see working in child mental health. Is this just stuck of yeah. like, you know, having to make some of these decisions that are that are rough, you know? What do you describe as a, a good day uh, at work versus a bad day? What's, you know, the, the good, like the best and the worst outcomes? Um, so it's like, because like bad days to me are like high level crisis days where it's just, you're not being able, like you can't, like nothing goes right. Right. And it's like the kid's unsafe or you have to do a hospitalization or stuff. Um, I get mad. Like, I think my bad days now are more if I'm in a meeting with the systems, which just happens a lot and they're clueless. And it's like, I, it's like, we, like my side, like my agency, we know what's best, right? We know what should be done, but it's like our hands are tied too. Um, those days are frustrating. Um, but days where like we break through from a family or a family really buys, um, you know, what we're saying. And we're not like, cause I always tell families like, listen, like you're the expert of your family. I'm not, I'm just here to kind of guide you. So like, um, if I see families like really getting, uh, just like the, like, starting to see this difference of and this change like those are days that make me like really happy like i had um family like i had them like play i forget what game it was i think it was shoots and ladders and we just watched them play shoots and ladders and it was beautiful Mm. it was exactly what we needed it was to watch their and observe their interaction with each other and their interactions have changed within four months and a lot of it was the parent understanding what trauma was, you know? So I do a lot of that too, is that education piece. And I like doing that. Um, I like talking about that stuff with parents. So that's what I'd say a good day and a bad day would look like. You know a lot um, about this stuff because, you know, you you work in it and you've studied it, but you've also like, you've been, uh, as, as you were saying, on the other side of it, you, you know, you were in juvie and... You went through that whole system. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, you know, it was kind of weird. It, all of my like issues stemmed from like, I was always an anxious kid. Um, and that was because my grandfather died when I was seven. And then like literally three months after that, I had an aunt that died. And then it, three months after that, somebody else died. So like I was around quarterly, death, quarterly, death. very early on. What's that? Quarterly deaths. You were just really yeah. hitting the marks. Yeah. Right. So like I was, I can remember now, you know, at eight years old, being convinced that I had cancer because like that was literally what was around me. And if you know Italian people, Italians can be very dramatic and very 
morbid. And so it was like, I was a seven-year-old kid at my grandmother's every Sunday. And all people talked about was who had cancer, who was dying, who, you know, so I was always an anxious kid. But when I got to um, junior high, a kid had taken advantage of me um, and I got bullied and I just stopped going to school. Um, you, were, you were sexually assaulted? Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's weird because like I never really, you know, talk about it. it's it's a new it's not kind of a new thing I've been brought up in therapy because yeah. it's something that I've always kind of been like you know, I, I guess ashamed of and I shouldn't because it wasn't my fault. I was a kid, right? Um, but it's just that's what happens when you go through trauma yeah. and you question things. Well, and, all that. and you know, in in your a very, you know, uh progressive uh one might say brassy you know feminist type and even you have trouble processing you know what happens and and being public with it and talking about it so anybody else who like isn't as you know in that whole world like i mean like good luck good luck ever like being able to like comfortably address that shit yeah it's hard i mean because i think too that you don't um especially whatever generation you're in and you know like i'm considered i guess a uh an older millennial a mm -hmm. zennial i was born in 83 okay yeah. like there's a lot of things that went on um that back then you didn't think that it was that it was forceful or it was assault um you know i remember being 15 years old dating a 21 year old and thinking i was just so cool because you know an older guy was into me meanwhile this was a he was a predator yeah. you know what i mean like so you don't think about these things um when you get older and i think too that um you know with me being bullied and me stopped I just, you know, I stopped going to school and then the school had told my parents like, well, then you have to take her to like a psychologist. So my parents not knowing what the fuck to do, you know, that's what they did. They took me to go be evaluated. And then it was like, boom, I'm in the mental health system. Um, and from there, it just, you know, I started, I met like a bunch of other kids that had issues. So when you have a group of children <laughs> that all have issues and they become friends, you know, they're right. going to teach each other shit. So, right. you know, I started going to raves when I was 14 and, you know, started dropping, you know, eating acid and stuff. And then that's when like everything really kicked off where like, um, you know, the doctor would tell my parents like, she's got to go to the hospital. So I was hospitalized four times. Um, I went to like an alternative school. Well, I went to multiple alternative schools because I was kicked out of multiple schools. Um, and the thing was, was that it all was like, because I, I felt like when I was, when I had been bullied and I stopped going to school, um, I felt like, you know, once I had to come, when I went back, it was like, I have to go back as like this badass crazy bitch. Right. Like everybody thinks I'm crazy already. So fuck it. And then I became just like a little like fighter. So um, you were, you were assaulted by this person and then it was then you were labeled, you know, a, a slut, a harlot or whatever, you know, probably, probably mm -hmm. they weren't calling you a harlot in, in middle school. No, in, it was slut or yeah. yeah, you know, a slut or things like that. Um, and skank it's probably weird because came up, right. Skank, all, all those, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like all those typical things. Um, 
you know, and it's funny because I actually did put something on social media today um, about, you know, because people from high school, they love to act like, you know, on social media, like you were great friends with them or something, yeah. you know, and everyone's like cool and stuff like that. But now, you know, that I'm processing all of this because I, I always say like trauma therapy is like peeling back an onion, right? Yeah. I've dealt with my parents' death. I'm, I've gotten through that. Now it's this inner child work, you know, shit. And you're like, fuck, like this sucks. Like, but it's so now it's like, I'm like, oh, holy shit. None of these people said anything. None of these people stuck up for me. These yeah. people, you know, they they did this. They they were part of this pile on, you know, and, and um, it hurts. Uh, you know, it's weird because like when I got older, you know, I felt so alone back then. But, you know, as I've gotten older, like I have these just a number like large numbers of groups of friends, just different people, um, you know, and it doesn't matter if we haven't seen each other for five years. The minute we're together, it's like nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I've always like since I've been old, like since maybe like 18, 19, I've always had these like tons of friends and been like the popular girl, you know, like the scene queen or or whatever. I've always gotten along with like multiple people. But that junior high shit. That that hurt, you know, that was a big thing. And, it, and it's still something that at 38 years old you know, I'm still coming to terms with, did you, you know, did you have anybody who you could turn to during that time? Or were you just like, no, I mean, and, and I couldn't even really, I mean, I, I had like a few people, but it wasn't it like, I, and I couldn't even tell, like, talk to my family about it. either. I felt like I couldn't talk to them about it. And, um, I realized now it's because of what, you know, I heard growing up, like I had older cousins and, you know, uh, my grandfather would use the term Plutana, which means poor in Italian. Like you were always taught, like, you don't do things like that. You don't do things like that. You don't put yourself in situations like that. And now I'm not saying that my parents would ever, because they did know about it. At a, it came out at one, at a certain point, you know, and they were obviously like supportive and things like that. But culturally, um, in an Italian-American family, like in Catholic, you know, it's it's very hard to talk about that, to talk about being sexually assaulted. Um, you know, even now it's hard. Uh, yeah. You know, I just I kept saying like to myself, like just in these past few weeks, like with this stuff just like coming up, um, you know, it's weird. It's it's hard. And it's still going to be a process now because it's just coming to the surface. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, but no, I mean, that and that's how I got involved in the system. And that's how easy it was to get involved in the system back then. And then I got on probation because I got into a fight at school. Um, did you win? So, you know, I was on probation. I did win. Yes. <laughs> awesome. I did win the fight, um, but but I also like, but my parents, again, I had my parents and they were like, well, we're not going to send our kid to an institution, you know, like they weren't too fond of doing the hospital trips either, but it was like they were doing what they were told. 
Was this like a fifty-one fifty situation? Like, a, like they're a threat to themselves. Like, have to hold them for forty-eight. Is it? 48 yeah, hours? like they would say you're a. They would say you're a threat to yourself or somebody else. Now, I never had to be like involuntary committed. I always signed the paperwork to go in. Always did it because I was like, nope, I don't want it on my record. Which and it's fucked up that it's on your, you know. But I get it. You know, there's people that have severe mental health issues should not have guns. All that. Um, and, but I always had signed myself in, um, but like back then you could tell the, the hospital that your kid was depressed and that they thought about suicide and you would get in, you would get in because back then it was insurance was paying for it. Right. It was money, money, money. You money know, cause again. that's a whole industry in itself. Um, now I, can't tell you how many times the hospital has turned my clients away that are actively suicidal that are actively suicidal Jesus. well then what the fuck do you do then we try to put in a safety plan at home you know um it's hard i mean the because it is like that's the thing too and i would love it's weird because it's like i have all this information and i need to just get it on paper like that this is all an industry right like it's mental health is an industry in itself and there's different industries within that um and it's all it's about money you know i i volunteer not volunteered i interned my first internship with my master's when i was getting my master's was at a children's psych hospital and i used to sit in treatment team meetings and you would hear these, these most outrageous stories about why this kid got hospitalized, right? They tried to throw their sister out a window. They tried to do this. They tried to do that. Um, but you always had in two, two women that were the insurance women telling you, okay, well, you got two days left, two days left. Only got two days left. Only got three days left where it was like the insurance had said, you have to have this kid out by this date. Doesn't matter where the kid is mentally or safety wise, we're only paying for this amount of hospitalization. You need to get this kid out now. And there's a lot of parents that have run into that um, nationally, like issues with like insurance and paying for residential treatment where insurance will refuse to pay for it. So the parent having the kid who, uh, so I'm not a fan of residential treatment. I don't think that it works, but I do what, also. What is residential treatment? Can you? Oh, I'm sorry. I know I'm talking like everybody. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? Um, it's basically when a kid's placed out of the home. So it's it's a psych facility when a kid is out of the home. Okay. So it's, it's very similar to a group home detention center. It's just you're getting mental health treatment right. at this facility. Are those usually, usually like, like like a house house or like or more like a, a dormitory kind of? It's more like dormitory. a dormitory yeah. cottage type of situation. Right. Um you know, like they're on a campus. Um, but, you know, there are some that are just in buildings that are very institutionalized. But, um, you know, I, if a kid needs it, it should be short, sweet, and the family should be involved the whole time. But kids can't even, that need it, can't even get it. So you have parents that will refuse to pick a kid up at a psych hospital and child welfare needs to get involved. And then the kid finally gets the treatment. Um, you know, there's so many issues behind all of these things that it drives you crazy it's like a ball of yarn it's just never it's like never ending yeah. 
you know. How do we fix it, Maria? How do we do it? What are, what are your bright ideas? How do we how do we make this better? <laughs> um, I mean, I think that we need to. I think that it needs to be talked about a lot more. Um, I think that we don't like we will talk about mental health. Like everybody is, it's very. Yes, like break the stigma, mental health, da 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 da. Like, but yep. it's not you. Like, we need to stop putting labels on things. It's trauma. It's trauma. This is what it is. We need to really start talking about how the body responds to trauma. What trauma is. What, um, what it isn't. Uh, how you know we need to stop looking at money. Because money, I mean, that's really what stops a lot of these, a lot of this treatment stuff from happening is money. Um, they don't feel like that that it's that it's you know that putting money into like um, services in the home, you know, they don't think that that's valuable. Meanwhile, you know, a service like mine in the home stops kids from going to the hospital, stops kids from going to placement because we're keeping the kid in the community. We're keeping them with their family. We're teaching the family how to deal with it, um, but they won't put money into it. So I think that, yeah, that's a big thing. Um, but really, I think talking about it and getting it out. I mean, I, I always tell people, I don't know how the hell I got a platform on Twitter. I, I don't know how it happened. Like I, I went on for the Bernie campaign, ended up getting a ton of followers. And I think about deleting it all the time, but then I think about, well, not fuck it. Get out what you want to get out, get this, you know, get out these issues that you want to get out. So I regularly talk about juvenile justice issues. Um, you know, like, yeah, I use Twitter to just like shit posts and stuff, but I also am like, well, let me try to use this to my advantage and talk about these issues. So people know what's going on because there's so many things that are going on in the world that, you know, it's hard to focus on everything. And I understand that. Um, but I think talking about it and if you see people talk about like, you know, things that are going on in facilities, like there's a lot of, um, you know, stuff going on with congregate care right now, which mean congregate care is a placement outside of the home. So it's group homes, residential treatment facilities. Right. Like there needs to be accountability in these places because kids are dying in these facilities and nobody yeah. knows because we don't, they, they talk about it maybe once or twice on the news, but it, it really comes down to activists keeping the name known and keeping it known and really, you know, pushing to keep the story known and pushing to get these places closed down. Um, so I think really just, the only thing right now what we can do is just really educate people and really, you know, make a fuss. Yeah. Um, well, you know, everything and that you're talking about, like group homes and things like that, like that already has such a heavy stigma on it. Um, you know, just even that term. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's this cycle of these things are underfunded. So they're, people aren't very well taken care of there shit gets worse you know you go to a group home you go to juvie something like that and then it just like spirals from there mm -hmm. but it's because there's not enough money in it because everybody says like well it sucks why would we waste money on that you know right it's 
and they don't take care of staff. That's what's happening either. with every single one of our social services and into infrastructure. It's just like, well, it sucks and it's janky. Look at it. Why should we put more money into it? And it's because because it needs money. It's falling apart. Look at it. Yep. Yeah. And it's just a cycle. It's just a cycle. And they know the issues, but they sit there and twiddle their thumbs. And it and it drives me crazy as somebody who is like more than willing to stay in this field. I mean, I say all the time, I can't stand social work. It's going to kill me. I want to leave da, 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 da. But at the end of the day, no, nah, this will kill me. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. I love it though. It's my passion. Like I love what I do. Um, you know, and there are people that are willing to do this job, right? Not enough. And I get it because they don't pay well. Um, but they don't take, you know, my, the people that I work for are very rare in this field. Usually people don't take care of you the way that like my agency takes care of its clinicians, which is to be mindful of what they hear every day. Um, there's a lot of mental health agencies that they don't give a shit what their staff's going through. How they do don't. you, how do you uh, take care of and like maintain your own mental health? Uh, you know, just presently. I smoke a lot of weed. <laughs> <laughs> I Hell smoke yeah. a okay. lot of fucking weed. Sure. Um, no, but I, again, I have the support of like my supervisors, but it's really more of like, um, like I go to therapy. So I have therapy this Wednesday, actually. Um, so I do my own therapy. Um, but I try to really take time for like myself, you know, and that was one of the things that I that quitting the podcast helped me do, you know, I felt like, um, that I wasn't seeing my friends enough, you know, like uh, that I missed them. It wasn't enough to talk to them, you know, oh, online or whatever. And like, I also too tend to isolate myself if I get depressed. Um, so it's like, I do it to myself. So I spend time with like a lot of the people that make me happy. Um, but I also spend time doing things that like I enjoy that have nothing to do with social work. So like the music stuff, I love reading about, music music mm -hmm. artists how albums were made what this song was about what was going on at this time like i just love i've always loved that i used to you know at 15 on saturday mornings i would sit i had like a subscription to every single music magazine whether it was rolling stone spin vibe whatever you're a big hip-hop so i do a lot of that um is is yeah. that your favorite genre or yeah i would say hip-hop is my favorite genre but i love all genres mm -hmm. um like if you listen to like my, like my Spotify playlist is just liked songs and I just play I just put them on shuffle so like I could be listening to like Big L and then all of a sudden it goes to like The Clash and then it goes to like Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers or Frankie right. Valley and the Four Seasons like <laughs> right. I'm very random with like I I like a lot of genres but I'm a big hip hop head especially 90s hip hop. Like go go straight from like Ghostface to Vince Guaraldi. Yeah, but, yeah, just yeah. like really, you know, bizarre shit or like, pop. Like the other day, I was like in a pop punk mood, so I was listening to like Newfound Glory and um. Right, I was yeah, never like, like a huge. In, I was never huge into that stuff, but like I do every once in a while. And I'm not sure why. I just really want to listen to Bleed American, Jimmy. Yeah, World. I just like yes, really want to put World. that on. I just and, and then I it feels great for like a minute and then I'm like okay cool I won't listen to this for five more years and that's it you know yeah yeah like there's albums like the other day I took out um 
okay computer. I haven't listened, That's and a I'm a big one. person that like I this time of year especially it's autumnal. It's just it's it's got a melancholy to it. It's got like a chilly. It does, and it was like freaking me out. I was I said it on Twitter the other day. Like I was like I haven't because I like listening to albums in full. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big singles person. I don't like how the music industry is now because it's all about singles, yeah, it's right? Annoying. It, like you don't i i can't remember the last like concept album i sat and listened to um and but i was listening to okay computer and i was just getting like chills and being like oh my god just how uncomfortable it's making me feel listening to it um it's that type of like emotion that i, I love that i love that music can invoke these those types of emotions in you you know um and it is a very just weird album you know um yeah to, it's fucking great i don't it's know it's a great it's, album it's, yeah it's uh it's one of the best ways of just uh just chilling it's just one of the like you know rolling a joint and listening to records you should see our uh vinyl collection there's eh, a thousand two thousand uh oh, records see. it's pretty sick um, i love that and i love vinyl too i always like grew up like because um i dated like I had my two like two of my very serious relationships as an adult were both with DJs. <laughs> so and they were both like vinyl DJs, like mm-hmm. they knew how to spin with vinyl. Um, so I remember like when the computer program Serato came out yep. and I would be like, oh, I can't believe people are spinning CDs, blah, 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 blah. Like I was like very hipster like that and shit. Right. <laughs> I'm not like that anymore, but like but I love vinyl, but yeah, it's the greatest thing to do. It, it, it I think it just, it, it evokes these emotions and I did, and I do that a lot too, or I'll sit and I'll just listen to an album yeah. and I'll just, you know, like that was my one favorite thing that I loved doing on the podcast was the bonus episodes that I do music. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it re- didn't work out creatively between my co-host and I, cause he wasn't into music like I was. Um, but like that's yeah, like reading about music. I I try to um another thing that like try to that keeps my head straight is if I'm on a schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When same, I'm off schedule, same. it's yeah, it's bad. I and need that's a schedule. Like, yeah. As and much I've been as having... as much as I like to think of myself as like a free spirit and like a you know like oh I'm a little like ADD boy. I'm like a little like you know, naked boy in the woods, like DD. I'm like, no, no. Like my, my inner child needs fucking discipline needs like hard discipline. And that's also too, like just a safety thing too. Cause like, I would, you know, the more routine you have, the more safe you feel, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, you know, what's like happening and stuff. And that's good for people that have had, um, but like past trauma, um, you know, just staying on that routine because it helps you stay mindful and stuff. Um, but really, yeah, I try to like enjoy, I try to enjoy the things that I enjoyed like as a kid. Um, you know, those are the things that I really, when I'm, when I'm trying to get away from social work, yeah. um, what I really do. I like a lot of art stuff. Um, love graffiti, love the history of graffiti, you know, and that obviously plays a role with like hip hop and, you know, yeah. stuff like that. So what's that? There's this fucking incredible documentary, um, style wars. Have you seen that? Oh, yes. So fucking good. Yes. And I actually met the dude mayor. Yeah. It's in that. I met him at the museum of graffiti. Wow. 
the graffiti museum in Miami. He was there. Um, and we didn't know it was him um, until the one guy told us. And we actually bought like uh, it was Martha Cooper. She did a, su- a book on like the subways, a subway graffiti mm-hmm. series, because that was, you know, that's what she was known for. She'd follow all these graffiti writers around and he was there. So we had him sign our book. <laughs> so this, this might great. be. This might be kind of a corny question, but I want to ask it anyway. Um, what would you adults, uh, you know, a social worker Maria say to a uh, troubled 15-year-old Maria and her family? Um, Probably the same thing that I say to my kids. Like this is one of the things I say to them a lot is this is a small you have to try to think this is a small part of a big life that you have ahead of you. Um, you know it's hard to hear that though as a teenager because you don't yeah. have you know you don't have the you don't brain have that frame of reference everything feels like the biggest thing on earth right every, in every your brain... year of school dude like i it's amazing to me now that like you know 10 years have gone by since i've even like moved to new york you know and, and like now that just like it just doesn't really feel like it used to be every school year was like an epic it was like a it was like a season of game of thrones or something like all this shit would happen yeah and you don't have the brain capacity either to understand at that age you know because you can't weigh your frontal lobe isn't fully developed so you can't you have no ability to weigh like risk and consequences so you don't understand that there's a big life ahead of you but i'm also very i think i would that's what i would tell a 15 year old maria um you know, it's, it's interesting to kind of look back at myself now. um, Because yeah, I don't think anybody thought that I was going to be, you know, an an expert in juvenile justice or be where I'm at, you know, right now, um, in my life. Um, You know, but I I think, yeah, you know, being a teenager sucks. But I think I would just, yeah, tell, tell 15 year old Maria and I tell her to shut the fuck up too and stop making out with these dudes. Right. Like I would, I'd yell at her probably a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what I'd yell at 15 year old me about probably just like my choice in hairstyles and stuff. Like I had dreadlocks when I was a teenager. It was a really, oh, it was a bad move. It was a bad, bad move. move. I'm yeah. sorry. Like I didn't know any better. I didn't know there was like a, a cultural appropriation wasn't a term yet. I was listening to a lot of new metal. I just uh, say there were white guys with dreadlocks everywhere, all over the place. You know, and yeah. I was like, this is a thing I can do because I got curly hair, but I'd, I'd be like, don't do that shit. Like, but I don't know. I'd mostly just tell him to just like chill out and be like, this is like everything that feels so huge right now. Don't worry. It's temporary. It's fine. It's going to be all right. Yeah. Roll with it. Like you don't like, and also like you don't know, but there's a thing called podcasting. It's going to be coming up soon (laughs) to tell you, to tell your 15 year old self. Yeah. You don't know right now, but when you're in your thirties, you're going to have a podcast with 30 or so listeners. That's really going to be great. (laughs) And you're going to make a, uh, you're going to do like a hundred episodes. You're going to talk to some cool people and that's going to be uh, your adulthood. So, yeah. you know, stick with it. It gets better as, gets as, better. Uh, as Dan Savage will say in a few years. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. 
Maria Guido, thank you so much for being on the show. This was perfect. Uh, do you have anything you would like to plug um, if people want to find you? Um, if you want to find me, um, I'm mostly on Twitter at Sandernista412. Um, S-A-N-D-E-R-I-S-T-A-412. Uh, it's a play off of Bernie Sanders and the Sandinistan government. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, and then um, I would just actually have people look into the um, the accountability for Congregate Care Act. Um, so that is something that is going to be coming up. I don't know if it's gotten through the house yet, but um, I, I would look into that. So that's um, actually Paris Hilton has been pushing that. Um, Interesting. Very comrade Paris Hilton. I mean, she was actually placed in like a troubled teen industry when she was a kid. So she saw yeah. a ton of abuse. She's done actually like she's, she it's, she's been amazing. Well, she's another this. one of those people from our generation who is just like, clearly some shit was happening to her. And we were just like, Oh, fucking dumb bitch, fucking slut. Like, you know, like, yeah. even like everything down to like that sex tape that like that leaked about her, like, you know, it was just like, no, actually she, that was yeah, kind of 19. That, yeah. She was a kid and like, he's not, being great to her like it's kind of like quasi not great consent wise and shouldn't have been out there anyway like this was not a cool thing that happened we were all just like huh fuck that bitch she just sucks right like yeah you know, I she was that... just like a punchline she was just like a south park punchline yeah because i did not like her at all no i didn't know? either she was like you know i was like a punk kid so i was like no she's the enemy she's the establishment mm -hmm. so like we can treat her however we want but she's uh she's killed it when it came to this when it comes to this calling the troubled teen industry out, she's done a lot. She's done a lot. She's gotten, she's put a face to it. And that's, and we've, that girl, I give that girl a lot of credit because she's done a lot for this movement. Um, so yeah, maybe uh, that'll get me canceled that I'm <laughs> a parasoten. Maybe that's Hilton the stand? thing that is finally going to get me canceled for, for being, for liking Paris Hilton, for liking Paris Hilton. Nah, I think you're good. I think we I think we're we're I'm glad that we're at this place now where we're sort of revisiting a lot of people from that era, you know, Britney Spears, Monica Lewinsky, like, you know, mm -hmm. like that we're kind of rethinking how we framed them and talked about them as a culture and as a society. And, and that, right. Uh, and that like most importantly, mo most importantly, that they're still around to see that you know that people are kind of like oh yeah we kind of weren't great too huh <laughs> you know yeah like we were kind of assholes to them yeah so well this has been a great talk and i encourage everybody to uh to follow you on twitter you're 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 real funny on there and uh you, thank you and i'm yeah i'm in incredible incredible work um it's just really Thank like you. it's it's the kind of work that like i feel more people should be doing but like you know i gotta like walk dogs and have my stupid podcast that's my life so like i, I, I actually listen if you want to that but that sounds like that's a good life you know yeah. i think everybody's has i think everybody is productive to society in their own way i don't think anybody is uh better or you know what i mean like yeah. i don't think i never think thought that i was better than anybody because i'm a social worker i look at life as uh like richard scary's busy town you know everybody mm. contributes like right. that's the type of 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 uh way that i look at things so right so we need the little worm driving the apple car. We need the little elephant yeah. carrying a bag of groceries. We need, we all need the guys. bear that's that's a postman. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we, we need, need all, all that. that. 
All right. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you once again to Maria Guido. What a fucking, what a cool ass lady. What a badass. The world needs more fucking cool ass, badass ladies like her. Really does. All, all you potentially badass people need to, out there, you need to step up and become the badass you were meant to be. Go through whatever hero's journey you have to do, whatever way you have to do it, you know, to become as cool and fucking brassy and awesome and outspoken as her. Music is by Shea Bartel. Find me at Radical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter. Find the show at Self Worst on Instagram. And uh, that's about it. Uh, Patreon.com slash Self Worst. Sign up for as little as a dollar a month. You get bonus content. You know the drill. And, uh, you know, I'm just uh, out here vibing in my yard. I built a grill just in time for December. Oh, you know I'm going to be grilling in the winter. Can't stop me. No one can stop me. This is America. All right. That's about it. Hope y'all are having a good week. In spite of everything. You know how we do. Holiday season. It's We're getting into the darkest time of the year. Next couple of weeks. Gonna be pretty dark. The sun's going down at like 4.30. We can get through this. Been through it many times. Alright? This is not your first winter. Alright? Cowboy up, folks. We can do it. I, you know, I don't, I don't like the, you know, just toughen up kind of mentality as a rule, but sometimes I do need just a little bit of that just to remind myself. It's more a gentle reminder that I'm stronger than I think. That's what it is. It's not a just like, shut up, quit being a pussy. It's, you're not a pussy. You have strength. You've done this before. You are capable. You are stronger than you think. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Trying to remind you that you can do this. All right? Isn't that nice and encouraging? What a great, encouraging little note to to end on from your friend, your best friend, and your mentor, Bradley James Pearson. The third. All right. I'm going to talk to you next week or someone else next week or whatever. Um, I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, go out and fail. It's good for you. Bye.